Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Fabulous Women Over 40. I'm your host, Kara Allen, and today we have our first fabulous man that is joining us today. JP is one awesome person, and I would love for him to introduce himself because he does it better than I do. Kara, thank you so much for having me on here. I feel privileged to be the first man on your podcast. <laughs> We've, uh, we've gone back a couple of years, done some work with me, and now I'm here serving your community. And look, I've loved you from day one. I love your energy. I love your vibe. I love your resilience. And any any person that has more tattoos than me <laughs> is good. Thanks. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, you asked for an intro. Uh, my, my full name is Jean-Pierre de Villiers. Uh, I usually would say for the last 20 years that I live in the UK, but now actually I've had my, I've made myself a global citizen Nice. Uh, and I just chose the world, my home. So my saying is it's not mine. I stole it from someone else, but my religion is love and the world is my home. So I'm currently in Dubai. I'm off to Thailand next. I've just come from the UK and what I choose to do with my life is to be a student of self mastery. Mm. And every time I learn something that works for me, mostly in mindset and reconditioning our mind and optimizing our mind and our energy, mental, physical, spiritual. Uh, as soon as I find something that works, I share it with others. And I've been doing that since I was 25 years old. I'm 40 years young. I've written 10 books. I've spoken in 20 countries and I've worked with some amazing people. Including you. Yes, I love that. See, I, I, I couldn't have done that justice. <laughs> So I love that whole that you've been inspiring people since 25. That's really cool. But tell us about your upbringing and your family. Like, where did you grow up? Was it in the UK? And like, how many siblings do you have and things like that? So two younger siblings. I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. Mm. That's my sexy accent, <laughs> South African. In a place called Cape Town, a favorite holiday destination for people from all around the world. But uh, being on holiday in Cape Town is very different to living there. It had many problems. Mm. And unfortunately, I had many problems in my family. My father was quite absent. He was an abuser mentally, emotionally, more physically towards my mother, uh, uh, you know, the odd hiding or whatever towards right. me and my brothers. But my father was a very wounded man. His own mother left him in an orphanage when he mm. was five. And that fortunate trauma played out in, in our whole life. So my father tried to commit suicide many times. He took his life finally when I was 13. Wow. We moved around a lot. I went to boarding school. And as a result of all the uncertainty, the unsafety, unsafety, is that even a word? Lack of yeah. safety. And uh, everything that was going on in my life, I just became a shy, scared, timid little boy. And I seeked acceptance, acceptance everywhere I went. And I just wanted to be accepted. Uh, and it ended up with me almost getting into drugs, almost getting into a gang. I mean, I watched, I, I definitely grew up on the wrong side of the tracks sometimes mm -hmm. in my life because we moved around a lot, like you said. Uh, but I definitely, you know, when I was like 19, I knew I'm either going to be really successful or I'm going to end up in prison or I'm going to end mm -hmm. up dead. And, uh, and I saw a kid get stabbed to death in front of me. And I just knew this is not the life I want right. in South Africa. With all due respect, I choose to live there or chose to live there. And uh, it's still my home. I go back every year, but I just knew I could have something better. So at 20 years old, I left, I left my home and I went to the UK and I started my life over with a 20 pound. I love that. And was your mom still in the, in South Africa? Yeah, she's still there. You know, South Africa is a funny mm. place. Like 
I would say Brazil, like some parts of America where, you know, the observer will look in and say, oh, this is a very dangerous place. But then some people in the hood or in Cape Town or wherever, or in the favelas would say, I'll never mm. leave here. And my mother was one of those people. She's just like, I do not want to leave wow. the country. Mm -hmm. I love it. And you know, to be fair, if you remove the crime and you know, you're able to create a stable life for yourself, you don't focus on the crime or the corruption or the right. government, then you know, the quality of life is extraordinary. You're in blue skies, you're mm -hmm. by the ocean, if you choose to live by the ocean. And South African people are very happy. Hmm. Even when everything around them is breaking down or they've got so much to complain about. So yeah, my mom still lives there and you know, I've tried to convince her for years. I've even brought her to the UK, moved her mm. into my house as a holiday. Okay, do you want to stay? And she's like, no, nah, I want to go home. <laughs> wow. Where the heart is, right? And my mom's heart is yeah. in Cape Town. It kind of reminds me of the, the cartoon movie Ice Age when there's like this thing happening and their, their life is threatened there because the bowl, like they're in a bowl, they live in this like, I, like, I don't know how to describe it. But anyway, so the ice caps are melting. And when the ice caps melt, the whole bowl is going to get flooded. And you have these little aardvarks that are trying to pull their grandfather out of the hole. And he's like, well, I'm not leaving. I was born in this hole and I'm going to die in this hole. <laughs> and it just reminds me that like some people are like, nope, this is it. I'm here. Done. You know, and we don't get it. But hey, you know, that's where they want to be. That is, you, know what, you know what? Sometimes it's not no, to get. It's true. It's true. And your siblings, are they still there or where are they? No. So because of the life we had, we kind of were forced to create a better life for ourselves at right. a very young age. And all three of us are entrepreneurs mm. and we are, we have, all three of us have been our whole life nice. ourselves pretty much. And uh, we spread around the world. So my younger brother is in Thailand. He's been there for a long time with his American hmm. wife. He's lived in Australia, Scotland, UK. And then my youngest brother has spent a lot of time in South Africa. But once again, he just wasn't happy with the life that we were given. Yeah. So he started creating his own life at a very young age. And now he's a deep sea diver. He's been to Angola, China, wow. all, all over the That's world. That's really cool. Yeah. Working on oil rigs and stuff. Yeah, it's just... They're all very inspiring. And unfortunately, they're all, all, all three of them. <laughs> but uh, my younger brother and I fell mm. out. Well, not fell out, he was speaking to me. But, uh, you know, I, I just love him so much. I love them both very much. And I'm very yeah. You know, I was forced to become a father figure to them in a way. Even though we had a stepfather. You know, when my father disappeared, I was their only. Mm. So, yeah, so I'm very, very proud. Wow, that's really cool. So did you know that you had a propensity for, you know, this, you have a leadership quality about you, I would have to say, obviously, <laughs> and um, a care for people. So did you know that you had a propensity for that when you were young? And did anyone help you nurture that quality? Wow. Two questions. They're both incredible. And actually, I don't think I've been asked those questions before. I definitely haven't been asked the first mm -hmm. one before. Did I always have care mm -hmm. for people? And actually I did, even though I shared before, I was a very shy, scared, timid little boy. Tara, I would find it so hard. So I would stick by myself, right? That was the easiest survival strategy mm. through mm -hmm. high school. Myself. And hide away from the bullies. I knew where to go and stuff in the corners of the school. But when I saw kids being bullied, I mean, I, I remember this so clearly. I had absolutely no one to be friends with them as in, 
we didn't right. gel. There's, there was no like common ground, but I would go and make friends with them yeah, and spend time with them just because as a young kid, 13, 14, 15 years old, I wanted them to feel loved. I wanted them to feel like they had right. friends. So I would strategically make friends with them when the bullies mm. weren't around. And then when they were around, I would keep them oh. distance. And then when they get it, I'd be like, hey, Graham, I remember this guy, Graham. He just picked on so much. And I would, you know, go look after him again. And and the first time I ever consciously cared about someone, as in like did an act of kindness, mm-hmm. I was killed. And there was obviously South Africa, we had apartheid and we had black and white and we were very, very poor. It was that year that my mother was later to sit us down and say, you're going to have to go to foster mm-hmm. care. Luckily, my mom, my stepfather, to be my stepfather just after that. But my mom sat us down and said, I can't afford to look after you. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, taking chocolates door to door and, and selling molded chocolates on sticks to put food on the table. Things yeah. were rough. But even when things were really rough, I remember one day walking home from school. It wasn't a long walk, maybe one kilometer, one road. But on the way home, on the right-hand side, was an empty, uh, what would you call it in America? A lot, Ooh. a plot, yeah. whatever, a mm-hmm. land. And in the corner of this land was a pile of cardboard boxes where this old African man used to live. He was so old that he had arthritis in his hands. His fingers couldn't straighten. He was a little bit blind and disheveled and just really in a bad mm. state. And this particular day, I remember not eating my lunch because the lunch we had was so <laughs> terrible because it was so like the cheapest white bread with the cheapest luminous red strawberry jam mm. on wrapped in tin. And I didn't eat mm. it at school, but I had it in my backpack and I walked home past this guy and I just saw him sitting on the pavement. And I sat down next to him on the right-hand side put my bum on the pavement and looked over to my left and I gave him my sandwich mm. and we never exchanged words that day. To this day, I still don't know whether he could even mm. speak, but I remember him with his broken hands opening that tinfoil. And as the strawberry jam, like you know, two pieces of bread slid, uh, slid off each other, he tried to keep it together and just eat the mm. sandwich. And I sat there, this little boy, almost going to foster care with a rope around my neck and a key on the, on the rope because my mom wasn't right. home. She was always trying to help us survive. And I remember my first really grateful experience in my life as a result of giving to others. And we just sat there together whilst he ate mm. the sandwich. And I haven't told this story in a while, probably two or three years. I really, really, really love sharing mm-hmm. this story. So thank you. So much. Yeah, I think that's really cool because I th- I think our gifts show up early, <laughs> even if we don't know that it's a gift at the time. And it's usually born out of some, um, out of the experiences that we've had, right? Like how we've been treated or how we, uh, we perceive that we've been treated. <laughs> Cause sometimes, you know, we're dramatic as children and then, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, I think that's really amazing. And that definitely has, it's, it's a transferable thing. That's very, it transfers to everybody around you, if that makes sense. I, I felt that from you mm. early on. So it's really cool to, to hear how that came about. <laughs> so um, let's see. Right, I, think it, I think it's important to remember mm-hmm. those things, you know, like. Yeah. You, you asked a really powerful question. The Whatever it is that you're doing in your life, wherever it drives that, where did that start? 
it's a great reminder for people, especially if they're feeling yeah. lost. Because sometimes we get so lost in the vehicle of mm -hmm. what we do, starting as coaching business, whatever business, forgetting the big why we do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for asking that question. Well, thanks for having a great answer. <laughs> um, so what would you tell, if you had a time machine and you could go back to any point in your life, what would you tell your younger self? Is there something you would change or something you would be like, hmm, this is what I know now that would, would help you grow better through your challenging times or something like that? There are, there is no way that I can give only one hmm. answer for this. <laughs> this trumps every other moment yeah. in my life. But the first thing that came to my mind or heart or whatever was when I must have been around eight mm -hmm. or nine. I remembered something for many, many years. And, you know, it really, yeah, it really scarred me for a few years. I've let go of it now, but it really scarred me for quite mm -hmm. a few years. I my father had us for the weekend or a week, whatever, when he decided to show up and he took us to Namibia, a country bordering South Africa, where we, where yeah. we grew up for the first years of our life. And my father was a, a hedonist and a party boy in any way. He was meant to have us that time. He took us on a road trip. But when we got there, he actually, we stayed at his friend's house. And this particular night, he wanted to go mm. out clubbing. And he said to me, eight-year-old kid, to look after... Andre, six years old, and Sean, maybe two wow. or three years old. And he said, I'm going out, look after my brothers. And if anything happens, call this number. And I didn't know it was the police. All I know was my father was out clubbing in a nightclub, getting drunk, etc. And I got mm. scared. I thought someone was coming in the house. I called the number. I called the police. And where we grew up, where he took us back to, was a tiny, tiny little town. <laughs> and they knew my dad. They went to the club. They dragged him out of the club. And they told him to come home. My father beat the living mm. shit. And he woke me up by picking me up off the floor. Oh, wow. Here. And I'll never forget 40 years old. And I can still remember, as I grabbed his forearm, I can still feel the coarseness of his hair, the heat on his skin. And he fucking went, oh, excuse my language. He went, and he shouted at me in the most horrible, horrible right. way. What would I do? If I could go back and change something, it would be to tell myself then, this has nothing to do mm. with you. Everything to do with the fact that dad is very, very yes. And don't take this personally. Because I learned many, many, many years later in mm. my life that no one is born a right. person not one thing. and that all the ways we act out is a result of things that have happened to us mm -hmm. in our life. and i didn't have that understanding right. i created an identity or a belief at least that no matter what i do i can never get anything mm. right i did exactly what right. i was told and i got punished mm. for it even into my 30s I still carry that wow. belief until when, when in my early thirties, my mother said, I feel like I need to share something with you, JP. Uh, I said, what do you mean? She goes, I don't think you know this, but she said, when your father was five years old, his mother remarried and had to, wanted to leave the country, but his real father wouldn't let 
her taking mm. him. So she dumped him in a bloody orphanage. Wow. And uh, how could he have ever, ever felt good enough? And he didn't. He spent his whole life trying mm. to be good enough, but succeeding by joining the choir, by being the first harbour master ever, sorry, the youngest harbour master ever, by doing all right. these things, by gambling, by partying, by cheating, all these things to seek mm. significance. Yet they were all temporary. And the result was, yeah, he just ended up feeling not enough and that the, the, the best way to end his pain was to take right. his life. Yeah, that was a very long answer, but I wanted to give context. No, to that's perfect. I really hope, I hope someone listening understands that, uh, one, you know, what we're doing is having an effect on our, our people and our kids, but also things that happen to us, we must remember that no one is right. Alive. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And sometimes that means you forgiving. Yeah. I think we don't think about our, the, well, not everybody thinks about the fact that the, our parents have a story too. And they didn't end up the way they did just because, you know, like you said, hurt people, hurt people. Nobody ends up just being an, a jerk because they had such a great childhood. <laughs> That's not how that works. <laughs> so how did your father's suicide, how did that impact you? Well, I believed that I wasn't mm. worthy. And I spent most of my life, uh, it's nighttime here. I'm, I'm tired, You're good. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I spent most of my life trying to prove less to other people, but more to mm. myself that I was worth something. And look, that, that drove me for right. a long time. But there was a time in my life where I had to say, okay, JP, time to put the put the brakes on you know you've 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 proved mm -hmm. your worth now and actually i have a tattoo on my chest that says you've exceeded what was expected and i believe that's a, a message from my father to say it's okay boy you've, you've done right you, you know, my life wasn't affected because i gave birth to you and look what you've got gone on gone on to do in the world but for a long long time i had what's called a shame existence mm -hmm. bind where we are binded to this idea that we don't deserve to be mm -hmm. alive because how could I feel enough if I had so much missing in right. my life? Security, safety, stability, certainty, money. And then my parent willingly chooses to abandon mm. me. So, yeah, you know, I know a lot of worse things have happened to people in their life. But, yeah, that was hard yeah. for me. Uh, and I imagine it was hard for my brothers too. But they were a little, little yeah. too young. Yeah, it's 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 impactful. We had a, a friend of ours in high school kill himself while he was at school, in the middle of school, and that was just, you know, unreal. So I don't know that people really understand. They just want to end their pain, but they don't understand how it impacts everybody else that, that gets left behind, too, and it, that's not in their space. So, yeah, it's a whole thing. So with the tattoos, do you, what do you feel like, uh, what, are you just an artistic person or with your tattoos, did that become an expression of things that you couldn't talk about or, you know, weren't able to, to articulate? Yeah, no, definitely the former. I, um, you know, I've only done a lot of spiritual work in mm -hmm. my thirties and, and I think having done a lot of spiritual work in the last few years, I'm understanding about past lives and, you know, I believe I was, because it makes sense mm. to me now that I was a tribe's chief or mm. a warrior of some kind, because all of my life, I've always had a warrior nice. mentality. Yeah. 
But number two, like I'm a fighter, right? I've been a professional fighter. I'm covered in tattoos, all these things. But but from a young age, I was always fascinated with tattoos mm. and piercing. Okay. I mean, I have tongue, the <laughs> eyebrow. I pierced both my ears with a needle when I was like 16. But I hid it from everyone. And I never harmed. I never self-harmed, okay. to be clear, with everyone listening. I enjoyed the experience. It was like a ritual for me at a very mm -hmm. young age, myself. And when I was 13 years old, because I told you I grew up with some of the right. wrong people, I found out how to make tattoos in prison. So I thought, hey, I can, I know how to do that. I can use a needle, a lighter, some black rubber, and you know, turn the ash into ink. And anyway, and I made my wow. tattoo when I was third, probably around 13 years old. And it's just in a place by my hip that was never for anyone else. It was for me. I needed to start having this practice nice. in my life. And I just never stopped. Never stopped. I started at 13 and I've, I've kept going at 14. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm only getting started. <laughs> but everyone, every uh, tattoo mm -hmm. has a story. I had a, a near-death accident, very, very near-death accident uh, when I was 37. So three years ago, almost mm. exactly. Uh, and I came out of that and it was a spiritual awakening, like moments of trauma of right. people, whether it's doing death or being a part of death or anything that you feel is traumatic, that can be a, an awakening for you. Uh, and Kara, is, it was awakening yeah. for me. It, it helped me realize that life is so temporary. Yes. So what are you going to stand for mm -hmm. while you're here? And there was a lot of truth that was in me that I wasn't expressing in the world as a speaker mm -hmm. and a coach. But the more meditation I did, the more plant medicine I did, the more I got into the deep, deep inner work, hence the third eye, the more powerful my voice mm. became and the more I was committed to speaking right. the truth from a place of love. And this is what all these tattoos mean. And all my tattoos have meaning like that. You know, on my knuckles here, it says W-Y-N-M, which is what's your next move. That's to for people to stop complaining, you know. No one cares about what you did yesterday. Don't be a one-hit wonder. You know, start again today. Make your next move. And this says W, uh, L, W, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, L, W, N, R, which is live with, live with yes. regret. And it's got some like super spiritual, uh, yeah, this is just to connect me to my spirituality right. and my meditation and stuff. But yeah, they all have meanings. And this is just because. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, because. Those that are listening, pointing to my throat. I get a lot of people that ask the same thing. Like, do they all have meaning? And I'm thinking, like, I wouldn't put it on my body if it didn't have a meaning. <laughs> I'm not just getting Tweety Bird over here because, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Uh, so, but at, but at the same, but at the same time, if we were out having a drink and we were just super playful, and you were like, JP, go get a tattoo of a turtle right now. <laughs> This has only happened to me in like the last year and uh -huh. a half, two years. I've just got to the point of living so much in the idea that our life is temporary. I would just go do it right. just for fun because we're so attached to these yeah. bodies thinking that we're going to live forever. But, you know, every day you wake up, you've got one day less, mm -hmm. one day less, one day less. So I just want to have fun with my canvas. And my canvas isn't a, isn't a right. instrument, an instrument. It's not a, an actual physical canvas. My body is my right. canvas. And I'm very proud of it. I don't need to explain it to True. other people, but I'm very proud of my canvas and what I've done with it so far and the fact that I get to carry my art with me all mm. around the world without having to put it 
bags because it's on my That's body. so true. I love that. <laughs> I have a lot of love too. And I have the uh, in Italian, the same thing, vivere senza rimpianti, to live without regrets, because, you know, you know, and dolce farnietti, because the sweetness of doing nothing, <laughs> we don't always have to be doing, it's more about being, right, so. A hundred percent, and that's been a big, big lesson yeah. for me. A big thing that I'm undoing, you know, for, I always say to people, for you to become the person you want to become, you have to unbecome or undo the person that you always were or the always the person that you always thought you needed. Right. To be. And for me, my conditioning from the age of 10, when I started work to make, make my life better and make my mom's life mm. easier. I had this condition in me for over two decades that you've got to hustle, got to hustle, got to hustle, got to hustle. But I, I just, I don't believe that right. anymore. You can still hustle from a place of love to go back right. to you, but you not be in this place of, I feel like I have to do this or I must do this or right. I should do this. Find that you love the most the thing that makes you come alive and that's what the world needs yeah. most from and when you do that you know that saying you never work a day in your life when you do exactly that. it's true so let's so like i don't even check emails you know i stopped checking emails five <laughs> years ago i have an assistant because i yeah. hate email i just don't i just don't do things that i right. don't enjoy and we can have virtual assistants and people to take care of that for us <laughs> yep so let's talk about the, you know, the accident you mentioned, like what was going on in your life right before that accident happened? And then when it happened, how did you maintain like a positive attitude? I know like it wasn't like rainbows and sunshine every day because it was really a huge deal what happened to you. And but then how did you get through that? Because, you know, a lot of people get stuck when things like that happen to them and they're like, why me? Why did this happen to me? Like, you know, how did you persevere through that? So first of all, I'll share a little story. If someone to help people relate to my situation and why I was different to a lot of people that experience something like that, imagine you buy a house and you move into this house. You love it. 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 And by the way, the house is a metaphor mm. for your life. And then all of a sudden this pipe breaks and there's water spraying everywhere. If you have absolutely no idea, what mm. to do, how to fix it, what right. to use, you will to anyone right. freak out. Oh my God. <laughs> and you think the worst possible outcome. You're thinking, you know, you're trying to be resourceful, but you don't even know what to look at, what to right. choose. Whereas if you have knowledge, skills, awareness, and tools, you can mm -hmm. go into your toolbox and say, I know what that's, I know what that means. I know what that is. I know the worst possible outcome and I know exactly mm -hmm. how to fix it. For me, I have been building tools for personal development, self mastery, self enrichment, self tools right. since probably all of mm -hmm. my life, but as a coach from my early twenties. So by the time my accident happened, where I was cycling across the length of the UK doing over a thousand miles in 10 days, almost 2000 wow. kilometers. And on the day I was hit head on by a drunk driver four times over the limit in an uninsured car who, who, who was already disqualified from driving. He shouldn't have been on the road and he had stolen his partner's car and he left me for dead, literally mm. on the side of the road with my bike smashed about 20 pieces. I was very grateful 
when I eventually woke up in intensive care after like day 10, day 11, and I knew what happened to me, or I was told what happened to me because I don't have any memory, I knew, hey, I know how mm. to deal with this because it was the house that I was woken up into and I knew every single tool that there was to know because I had dedicated all of my adult life to finding out why we do what we do, how we can do better, right. why we behave or think the way we think. And, uh, and I'd learned all these mastery tools from so many of the greats, Lisa Nichols, mm -hmm. Tony Robbins, Jack Cantor, Andy Martini, you know, Robin Sharma, I can go on and on right. and on and on. All the way as far as Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill, etc. And I just knew, I know too much. I know too much to right. be a victim. And actually, when I eventually got out of hospital a few months later and got on crutches and I started to connect with people, some of my friends would say, yeah, you know, JP, you know, of course, we're so sorry that this happened to you, but, you know, we got to be honest with you. You know, if it was going to happen to anyone, we're so glad <laughs> it happened to you. Because, you know, like you're going to turn this into some crazy inspiring story. Yeah. And I did, you know, I climbed a year after my accident, I climbed the fourth highest mountain in the world to the roof of Africa, Mount Kilimanjaro. A year and a half after my accident, I ran three marathons wow. in 24 hours. Uh, I've written three books since. And I'm not saying this because it was about me. I'm saying I did these things as a result of hitting the ultimate yeah. low, the ultimate of my life. I was broken physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I still, day by day, choose to, chose to focus on mm. what I could control, what I could do, and what was in my grasp. And I just focused on that one day at a time, right. one day at a time. And as you probably know, I documented mm -hmm. the entire thing through talks, through books, through social media, because I wanted to help other people understand that your past doesn't right. your future. And life about what happens to you is about what you make of what happens to you. And it became, it was the most difficult thing I've ever right. gone through. It ended up changing so much my amazing amazing marriage with my beautiful wife Jules mm. fell apart and we're mm. separated now but it was also the best thing that ever yeah. happened to me because like I showed you before Kara I was living on well, I didn't share it in this way but I was living on a steam train going fast going fast hustling 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 and I wasn't taking enough time to look outside the window and realize that everything I ever wanted in my life I'd already yeah. achieved. I was so obsessed with moving forward that I didn't take the time to just look at the ground and then look around me and realize that the ground I was standing on was actually on the peak of the highest mountain I'd ever climbed, metaphorically mm. speaking, and start with a view. And I believe, I'm not religious, but I believe in, I believe in God as in good orderly direction and the highest of higher, right. higher powers and that I am about me and that my life is about something better, bigger, and there's something, someone, he, she <laughs> looking after me and I'm spending my whole life figuring out myself and who that is. But I know I was hit by that car because God was mm. driving that car. That's serious. Because I wasn't yeah. listening. I wasn't listening mm. to science and I wasn't paying attention. So God said, I'm going to put you on your ass I'm going to break wow. your legs. I'm going to give you punctured lung, heart trauma, internal bleeding. I'm going to break your arm in pieces. I'm going to wrap your legs around your body so you cannot wow. move. And then 
give you some time to think about your life. Wow. Changed for me. That's yeah. serious. Like <laughs> when you think, I mean, damn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that makes so much sense. And I've heard other people talk about that similar stories before, because when we're so focused on, we just got to make it, we got to hustle. We got to do this. You're like, you're not taking the time to just enjoy breathing. Like being able to get up and walk around on your own two legs and not have to pee in a bag. <laughs> or, you know, you ask the person in a wheelchair, how, how did you, how, do you appreciate, did you appreciate your legs? I mean, do you, do you appreciate, would you appreciate walking now? You know what I mean? Like we don't think about those things. The very simple things of just breathing on your own, right? Because with a punctured lung, I can't even imagine what that's like. It's probably painful. Each breath is painful at that point. Oh, man. If you look at the pictures of me in intensive care, you see almost every day my 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 fixed arm, not this arm, this arm is grabbing the mm -hmm. railings every day. I'm lying in intensive care. I can't move. I'm drugged up. And I was fighting so hard. My hand was pretty much mm. always on the railing because, like I told you, I'm a fighter. And actually, the doctors said different things. Man, it's a miracle you're alive. You clearly are very fit. You clearly have a very strong mindset. But I even got worse in intensive care. But, you know, not only does these things do these things make us grateful in life, but it reminds us to look at yeah. it from a different perspective. Because when we're always looking forward, we mm -hmm. look at success. And that is what life is about success. But when you have something happen to you like that, where you realize that actually life is so short and the most important thing in life is that you're happy, you realize that the ultimate success in life Right. You being happy. And actually, you know, I've been helping my clients with this mm -hmm. for years. I've been practicing Ooh. it myself. Okay. Some of my clients because they know yeah. they can play a better game. Some of them were unhappy, right? So they wanted to make changes. I was happy, right? Mm. I liked my life. But inside me, Kara, I knew. No one else knew, but I knew that there were little pieces of me that I'd cut mm. off over the years to fit in the container of who I thought I needed to be. And over time, you right. forget who you are. And with that of stillness, actually David Goggins said to me, in my recovery, I was very blessed to meet him face to face in the UK. And I said to him, oh, give me some Goggins inspiration. I want to do an Ironman right. three months after my accident. And he said, JD, he said, take a year out. He goes, you're like me, mm. fitness is your medicine. A lot of us have a medicine where we have, we need to take that medicine every day. Go, go, go. It's business. It's sales. It's courses, seminars. It's clubhouse, whatever. He said, don't take the medicine for one year and then you'll really fucking see who you are. Excuse my language. Yeah. That's what he said. And when he said that, I took a, <laughs> a big gulp because right. I knew he was right. I knew he was right. If I stopped being so busy, I would be forced to see who mm. I really am. Uh, you know, I, I hope one day I get to thank him because all I did for one year was meditation, silent retreats, Buddhist centers. I went and lived with a Shaolin master. I got into foreign medicine ceremonies. And man, oh man, I realized that I was playing small and I wasn't living wow. my truth. I was living truth that fitted into society, that got the approval of the people around me that painted a nice, pretty picture of who JP is in a way that I can love myself, but yeah. you can love me too. But after that, man, after that time alone, I just realized, uh-uh, enough, enough. I'm going to go all out. 
and be the best, best me that I can be. And that has been challenging. Because like I said before, you you then when you know who you want to be, you have to undo everything that you thought you were. And oh, that that is True. courageous work. Most people know what they want, but they're not willing to undo the relationships, the business, the, the vehicle that they've been in, whether it's a program, a course, a role, whatever. Yeah. So they just stay where they are. And it's right. If I can do it, you can do it. As That's in, really know. amazing. So what legacy do you want to leave the world when, when, when you're gone and you know, you, you transition to that, whatever the next place is, what do you want people to remember about you? And what do you want to leave like behind what, what thought process or what, you know, big thing. There, there, there is a Japanese exercise called Ikigai. It's for mm -hmm. finding your passion in life or your purpose. Uh, and Ikigai, I think the translation is your reason for being. Uh, and when you do this exercise, you end up with one word in the center. And this is your Ikigai. This is your reason for being your purpose. And you write it as a doing word, as an action word. And mine is, my reason for being is mm. to inspire. I want to live a life where I inspire myself. And if I find areas in my life where I am not inspiring, right. I want to change that. And then as a result of that, I want to inspire other people. So the legacy that I want to have, as Lisa Nickel would, would say, what I want my dash to stand for on my gravestone between my birthday and my death date, is JP was an inspiration. Mm. Not that I was perfect, not that I was successful, but I want people to think about my life and I want them to literally inspire, as in take a deep breath in and say, man, he was a good egg. He was a good guy. You know, and I don't care about being presented a certain way. If I'm known as the most <laughs> fucked up guy, excuse my language, I'm as the most messed up guy that right. still never gave up. Yeah. And that's going to help some people. Truly. I, probably, I have a couple of. Uh, You're good. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you yes. It, you know, it just person. personifies the point, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Sometimes that's just what it is, what it is. No. I wasn't. <laughs> talking about anyone or anything like that yeah yeah i'm quite happy to you know to be seen as man this guy's crazy or you know whatever he's messed up he's got you know, right people say stuff right oh there's this person and that person but if i can just mm. be the person that never gives up that keeps moving that stays strong that never settles then that can right. inspire other people to do the same and that's I, you know, I bring on challenges in my life because well, the more challenge I experience, right. It's true. You know, I'd never been through something physically traumatic, like an accident. And when I was in intensive care, I realized, hang on, I never teach about what I don't mm. believe I have the right to talk about. So now, because I've been through this, it's like, <laughs> oh, I can help even more people, inspire more people. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was a it was a blessing and a curse. Like well, and then you you know, it's I think a lot of times things that happen to us, it, well, everything that happens 
it happens for us, not to us, one. And two, it's more likely for other people because, you know, ha- had you not gone through that, how would you be able to share that with, you know, with anybody else about resilience and keep going? And, you know, literally your whole body is broken and you have to learn how to do everything all over again at 37 years old. That's crazy. Like the average person is not going to have to deal with that necessarily, but that can translate to all other areas of their life or any other thing that happens to them, even not as traumatic, but big enough. You know what I mean? So. So, so true, Kara. And it's been three years since the accident, right? My next appointment after this is a massage because three years Mm. later, I'm still in pain. An hour before this podcast, I've been working out today and stuff. I've been obviously very busy right? because that's just still my nature. But I was lying in bed and yeah. I could just feel this burning lower back and my legs. And, uh, and saying that, you know, I still have a choice. Do I mm-hmm. do the best I can and move forward or do I become right? And I refuse to be a victim. I will push myself to the edge of myself. Sometimes I'll fail. To be honest, a lot of the times I fail, but every time we push ourselves to the edge, we gain a new perspective. We learn something and then we get a little bit more courageous to do it a little bit yeah. more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then as long as we keep stepping to the edge over and over and over again, eventually, if you actually think of a literal edge, eventually yeah. you become not afraid. And when you become not afraid, right. Everything is possible. Well, I think that's a perfect note to end our conversation on. This has been wonderful. You're so awesome. I so appreciate you. And I would love for you to share where everybody can find you, how what you're working on next it, that you want people to hop on with you with and anything else you want people to know. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. I love and appreciate you. It's so great to see you doing amazing things in the world. And if people want to connect with me, or if you want to learn more about me, uh, you can find my books on Amazon. If you just type my full name into Amazon, you'll find a few of my books there. Some of them are self-published off Amazon, uh, but the I'd say the best ones, the best ones are on Amazon. Number two, I have a, a coaching mastermind where I meet people at the last Friday of every month on Zoom for two hours. It's called Live 100. It is for people that are totally committed and willing to be told the truth and held accountable Mm. to living in their values, as in their best life, living on their terms. And um, yeah, you can just find that on my social links and the social link I'll share is Instagram. So it's, if you type my initials in JPDV, you should just see me come up already, but the full handle is JPDV underscore CEO (laughs) as in certainty, (laughs) energy, obsession, making you the uh, underscore coach so jpdv underscore ceo underscore coach and in my bio you will find a link tree to many many other links in my youtube and mastermind and i do free coachings every monday on zoom not really u.s time because it's 8 a.m uk time (laughs) yeah i have to follow you on instagram i don't think we're following each other there so i'll definitely do that after we hop off <laughs> well, I hope you have a good rest of your day or night. Enjoy your massage, and uh, we'll have you we'll have you on again because so I'm much. I'm sure you're just going to be doing more wonderful things, and we'll need to hear about all of that and catch up again.
Well, I look forward to part two and uh, give me a reason to come back to club. Yeah, I'm not on as much as I was, but I do still go. There's certain rooms I'll still pop into Uh, because I have some people I've met in person and we've, you know, fostered some relationships. So, yeah, I do go. I was in one yesterday. We were listening to the audio book, Ask and Is Given, and it was a really good refresher because I've read the book. So, yeah. Yes. S and X, right? Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, which one? <laughs> but um, yeah, I always think of Clubhouse when I think of you because that's where we got introduced to each other. So yeah, I feel like I need to get back on it. Let's see. Oh, we've lost Kara. just in case she'd been kicked out of her own podcast all right i don't know if we're still recording this but (laughs) in case we are i don't know what happened there cara thanks for having me thanks everyone for listening peace and love